know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. Over the past 18 years, the International Human Trafficking and Social Justice Conference has welcomed thousands of attendees from all 50 states and from 40 countries around the world. We are the largest and oldest academic conference on human trafficking in the nation. Our 18th annual conference will be hosted virtually this year on September 22nd through the 24th. You will have the opportunity to learn from and collaborate with thousands of advocates, researchers, experts, and survivors from all over the world. This will be our largest conference to date with over 100 breakout sessions featuring 180 expert presenters speaking about various topics related to human trafficking and social justice issues. Find out more information and register today on our website, traffickingconference.com. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast. This is episode 101. It's going to be short, but hopefully powerful and impactful, because I want to talk about the cost of an exploited life. This is a case that happened in Ohio, where everybody missed the red flags. They missed the risk factors, and it altered the trajectory of someone's life. So this story is about Peaches. She lived in a community in Ohio. Peaches had a mother that went to prison when she was a young child. So Peaches was raised by her father. She had three sisters. They were all involved in prostitution. That is a risk factor. During her preteen years, she was sexually abused by a family member. Another risk factor. Child welfare placed her in a foster home and Peaches had to change schools as a result. Foster home, child welfare, another risk factor. Peaches ran away from her foster home several times and ended up dropping out of school. Running away, one of the highest risk factors. Dropping out of school, risk factor. At age 14, she met a trafficker that manipulated her into sex trafficking. Peaches believed she was in a relationship that was both physically abusive and commercially sexually exploitive. She was picked up by the police here and there and appeared in juvenile court occasionally. Along with her trafficker, the friendships Peaches established were with other girls that were involved in the commercial sex trade. Risk factor, older boyfriend, risk factor. At age 19, Peaches broke away from her trafficker and was able to get a modest apartment in a higher crime area in Ohio. She saw a young girl spending time with three men that lived below her. Peaches knew the game and knew the young girl was being groomed for sex trafficking. She befriended the girl and let her live in her apartment. 
to pay her portion of the rent, Peaches put the girl online to sell for sex. Peaches was arrested, charged, and convicted for sex trafficking of a 14-year-old girl. She got nine years in prison. Peaches always wanted to be a beauty salon professional. We asked that that, uh, Peaches be sent to a prison where she could learn to do hair. When Peaches is released, she'll have no formal support system, no healthy friends or family that she can rely upon. Peaches's life may have been altered for life. We don't know. We know that Peaches engaged many systems that could have identified even one of the risk factors. She engaged schools, she engaged child welfare, she engaged juvenile court, and she engaged the police. So at least four different systems were involved in Peaches' life. What were the risk factors that could have been identified? being around influential others that bought sex, sold sex, or sold others for sex, running away from home, having had contact with child welfare, juvenile court. How many professional systems interacted with Peaches and missed the risk factors? Four, the child welfare system, the juvenile court system, the school system, and the police department. How many were needed to change the life trajectory of a promising young life? One. What's the outcome of an exploited life? The trajectory of Peaches's life may now be changed forever and for the worse. The court took leniency on Peaches and only gave her nine years in prison. When she's released, she'll have no marketable skills, no pro-social family, no sense of how to gain mastery over her own life. But what if the risk factors had been identified early? If child welfare understood the risks of having three sisters involved in prostitution, AKA influential others in this child's life, coupled with having been a victim of sexual abuse, they might've seen the red flags pointing this vulnerable young person toward commercial sexual exploitation. Later, if the worker or the foster mom saw the older boyfriend as a potential trafficker, life might have changed forever for Peaches. What they needed were to know the signs, maybe to have some assessment questions to ask and ways that their system could have responded early. In the juvenile court system, if juvenile court had recognized this series of runaway events as a risk factor, things might have been different. If the court, probation, or detention staff looked into her background to identify her experience as signs of risk, perhaps they would have responded differently. Assessment questions and avenues to respond may have prevented this tragedy. In the school system, if they understood that this young person transferred schools because she's a foster child, perhaps the school counselor would have been notified. Maybe the school counselor would have assessed Peaches for 
human trafficking risk and connected her with preventive services. The school needed to screen and refer Peaches to the school counselor or the school social worker. If the police who arrested Peaches would have understood the signs, perhaps they would have been able to respond differently. They needed a way to identify risk and a place to refer Peaches. The result was that no one took focused time until it became time to impose the consequences on Peaches. During that time, everyone provided meaningful time to the case. The child welfare system submitted the subpoena records to the court. The police testified against Peaches. The government paid for the prosecuting attorney to prosecute Peaches. Peaches had everyone's attention at that time. The moral of the story is that anyone could have seen the signs. No one took the time to respond to the risk factors. Somebody missed her victimization. Yet everyone understood her criminal behavior. No one believed they were to blame except her. We all went to work the next day passionate about saving the lives of trafficked kids. Now I get this complaint a lot, particularly when we ask agencies to implement assessment tools, to ask questions, to uncover and identify risk factors of kids who are at high risk for trafficking. They say to us, you know, we would, but our workers just don't want to ask any more questions. They already asked too many questions. And so we don't get to often identify kids who are at risk for human trafficking. And I want you to think about that. Think about that because I hear that a lot. Well, they're not going to ask the questions. They already have too many assessment forms. They already have too many questions they have to ask, you know, their clients. And I want to say, what is the purpose of the job? Are we here to make the social worker's job the clinical counselor's job, the professional helper's job easier? Are we here to make their life easier? Or are we here to help vulnerable populations to identify and uncover? And it seems like sometimes we're catering to the very people we pay to do the job that we want them to do. My question is, do you have assessment tools, questions that you are asking in your agency to indeed identify and uncover people that are at high risk for sex and labor trafficking. And once you identify, do you have a response to lower that risk? In other words, is the passion about fighting human trafficking only in your heart? Does it ever leave your heart and go to your brain and travel down to your pen where you actually implement policies, practices, programs, assessment questions, and interventions that actually 
identify and are helpful. Let's not just do something, let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues.